chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 16 today. Matthew chapter 5, verses, verses 11 through 16. A Christian is something before he does anything. We have to be Christian before we can act as Christian, says one pastor. A Christian is something before he does anything. You have to be Christian before you can act as a Christian. This being a Christian and acting as a Christian has been something we've been talking about for the past four weeks. We talked about the blessings of the kingdom. We talked about the character marks of the kingdom that that are produced in all believers. The Beatitudes and the blessings of the kingdom. The character marks that, that changes our being. Makes us poor in spirit. Mourning. Meekness. A desire for the things of God. It changes our doing that we can live a Christ-centered life. A life of mercy. A life of commitment. A peacemaker life. These marks, these kingdom blessings, they come to all believers. doesn't matter your denomination or where you live in the world. We all have these blessings and these character marks produced in us by grace through the Spirit. And now this morning we're going to see Jesus make a transition from the Beatitudes to to talking directly to his disciples. Talking directly to those who, who have these marks and these blessings. He's letting us and them know that because we have these character marks, because we have these blessings of the kingdom, we are distinguished. We are distinguished between those in the world who don't know him. See, he gives us a general picture of how the world will react to his distinguished people. And he gives us a picture of how his distinguished people are supposed to act toward the world. And what he communicates to his first disciples, he communicates to us today. You see, you are distinguished from the world to influence the world. You are distinguished from the world to influence the world. So if you have your Bibles, open them to Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. Blessed are you when others insult you, persecute you. And other all kind of evils against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall it be salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown down and trampled on the other people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let us pray. Father, we come to the preaching of your holy word, and we pray your spirit down that he will come and speak through me. And apply your heart, apply your word to my heart and to hearts of everyone that's here. Lord, we need you to be glorified. 
We want you to be worshipped. We want you to be the focus. We want this to be Christ-centered, Christ-honoring in all that we do. So, Spirit, you take the word of truth and do with it as you will. Apply it to the hearts of the people. Christ in my prayer. Amen. So we are distinguished from the world to influence the world. But in doing so, the world will have a reaction to us. They're not going to make it easy. We're just not going to plant the Christian flag down and say, here we go. Let us influence the world. So Jesus tells his disciples, there's going to be some pushback. There's going to be a reaction to his distinguished people. That's what he tells us in verses 11 and 12. Blessed are you when others insult you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The world's reaction to Jesus' distinguished people is a negative reaction. Notice here how he's directly making this point to his disciples and to us, to us as well. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. He moves from giving general descriptions of the kingdom and kingdom blessings to, to giving a general application to what's going to happen to those who have these blessings and have these marks. Not blessed is someone else, but blessed are you. Blessed are you. Blessed is me when people insult me. The you is referring to his people, his church. He points out the fact that certain things are going to happen to you as a distinguished person, as a distinguished people. You should expect a negative reaction from the world. He gives us three negative reactions that the world can have toward his people. He says, first, people will insult you. They will verbally attack you. Criticism, slander, disrespect, put you down. This can take place in your face or even behind your back. Have you ever been insulted for Christ? Slandered because of your faith? The second reaction is persecution. And we talked a little bit about that a few weeks ago. In persecution, has someone been a victim of hostility or ill treatment because of religious beliefs, because of their race, because of their political views? And persecution can be verbal and it can be physical. And thirdly, there's the reaction of people speaking all kind of lies against you, spreading rumors against you, gossip against you, people trying to bring distress, distress to your name and reputation. With these words, Jesus is telling us not to go through this life with rose-colored glasses on. Don't go through this life thinking just because you're a Christian, that everyone's going to welcome you. Everyone's going to be excited about your presence. Everyone's going to be excited about your values. Because you are Jesus' distinguished people, because of who you represent, there's going to be some pushback in the world we live in. And why? Why would we have this negative reaction? He tells us. He says, it's on my account. On my account. It's going to happen because of him. And Jesus is clear about this point here. That 
It's not because of your race. It's not because of whatever politics you hold. You're going to have this negative reaction toward you because of who you are as a believer. Because of who you represent as a believer. He's talking about the kind of persecution that comes to you because you are a Christian. Because of what you believe. Because of what you stand for. Now does this mean every single non-believer in the world is going to hate on you? No, it doesn't mean that. But it means some will. Some governments will. Other religious groups will. Some social groups will. Sometimes even other believers will. Don't forget, Jesus is talking against people who thought they knew God. The people who thought they knew God are going to be persecuting his disciples. You do realize that, right? The Jews. So, so you can also receive this kind of ill treatment for other people who claim to be a believer. So it's not just the God-haters that can do this to us. It could be even those who claim to love God, to know God, who would insult you, persecute you, and spread lies about you. There's a, at this very moment, there's a pastor in Iran who heads up a network of Christian churches, and he's on trial right now because of his faith. Many of you may know about this story because he's a Christian, because he refuses to recant his faith. And if he's convicted, he will die. He will be hung. You know, one reporter who was reporting on this case, she says, those of us in the free world should press our members of Congress to to speak up. Those of us in the free world should press our members of Congress to, to speak up. I say Christians need to pray up for our Christian brother who's in Iran. Did you pray for him if you heard the story? If you haven't, then we're going to pray for him right now. So bow your heads. Father God, I will pray for my brother over in Iran who at this very moment could die because of Christ. He'll lose his life because of what he believes in. And so we pray for him. We pray that I pray, Lord, that he would not die. I pray that you will rescue him. But if he does die, I pray he would die with dignity. So be with our brother. Be with all the other believers over in Iran who are persecuted because of who they represent. Because they represent you. So be with them. Strengthen them. Sustain them. May your spirit give them an extra measure of grace, an extra measure of strength. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Now you ask yourself, why will I pray for our brother in Iran? I pray for him because don't spiritualize persecution to the point that it nullifies its sinfulness and evilness. It's evil. It's evil. There's a consequence to the fall, and it's evil. There's nothing spiritual about it. It's evil. There's nothing fun about seeing another human being put to death simply because of their religious beliefs. And I point this out to you because I want you to have a clear understanding of what Jesus is talking about in verse 12. Because you can read verse 12, rejoice and be glad, the wrong way. You can read that and think Jesus is telling his disciples, I want you to be rejoiceful and glad in, your, in the fact that you're going to be persecuted for me. When Jesus says, blessed are you whenever others insult you and persecute you and falsely speak against you, he's not saying persecution is the blessing. Do you believe that? Nor is he saying in this verse that our brother should be excited about the fact that he's going to suffer a very violent death. 
I don't believe Jesus is telling us that we are to rejoice and be glad in persecution itself. And I love what one Christian pastor says about in this verse in response to those who, who think they should rejoice in persecution itself. He says, they have rejoiced wrongly in their persecution for its own sake. Now that surely was the spirit of the Pharisees and it's something which we should never do. If we rejoice in persecution itself, if we say, oh, well, I rejoice and I'm exceedingly glad that I'm so much better than those other people, that is why they are persecuting me. Immediately we become a Pharisee. Persecution is something that the Christians should always regret. It should be to him a source of great grief that men and women, because of sin and because they are dominated by the Satan, should behave in such an inhumane manner. Christians is, in a sense, one who must feel his heart breaking at the effects of sin and others that makes them do this. So he never rejoices in the fact of persecution as such. It's evil. Your heart should break enough that you'll pray. See, the rejoicing and the gladness is not in persecution itself. These two imperatives that call us to have this continuous joy and gladness, it flows out of us as we keep in balance two very important perspectives that are only unique to Jesus' distinguished people. What are these perspectives? He gives, us, he gives them to us in verse 12 as well. Rejoice and be glad. Why? For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This first perspective that says your reward in heaven is great means you have to keep on the forefront of your minds an eternal perspective in this life. An eternal perspective. See, this takes us back to those past sermons on the Beatitudes. Because of these blessings and those character marks, you are God's distinguished people. You are actually a sojourner whose final destination lies beyond the grave. This great reward in heaven is referring to our future life and what it will one day be like when we were, there will be no more sin, no more insults, no more persecution, no more lies against you, no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. All things will be made right then. Send Jesus face to face when God's kingdom finally come in all of its fullness. That's the reward that awaits us on the other side. Think otherworldly is what Jesus is saying to his disciples, but not in a delusional way in a way that allows you to rejoice and be glad in the reality that you are not currently living your best life now. And if you think that, you don't long for heaven. Realize that. If this is your best life now, if you're currently living it now, you don't long for heaven. You're like, I need more time. <laughs> Honestly, if you think this is best as it gets, do you really long for glory? No, you're going to live it up here. Get all you can get here. Find all the satisfaction you can find here. Jesus says, great is your reward in heaven. Do you long for heaven like that? God's distinguished people have a continuous joyful longing for their true home. That's living with an internal perspective. That's the first perspective that we have to have on the forefront of our minds. The second perspective says... For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What does Jesus mean about that? What does that mean? The point he's making here is that the present reality for his distinguished people 
would never fully be what the future reality is going to be. That's the overall point. You're never going to have utopia. You're never going to have heaven on earth. You'll taste of it. You'll smell of it. But it ain't ever going to be what it's going to be. The banquet is not going to come in our lifetime. It's still to come. We've been talking about that since we started the Sermon on the Beatitudes. Here's the people. We're distinguished, but we're not invincible. We're not exempt, nor are we immune for the fall, fallen world. We're going to still suffer. We're going to still have hardships. We're distinguished, but we're not exempt from the things that befalls us in the fallen world. There are no get-out-of-suffering-free cards in a Christian journey, ever. You're never going to get one because they don't exist. Remember those who came before you. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He's telling his disciples, remember Isaiah. Remember Jeremiah. Remember all those who came before you. Remember them. What you're going to experience is not abnormal for the Christian. It's the norm. There's nothing abnormal about it. If they persecute the prophets, if they persecute the apostles, if they persecuted Christ, if they persecuted our brother in Iran now, guess what? You're no different. We are actually in good company when it comes to that. All God's distinguished people will face persecution. Some will be more heinous and more intense than others. But we all will face it on some level. And as I said earlier, this persecution we experience is for Christ's sake. Christ's sake. It's because of who you are and who you represent. So the rejoicing and the being glad is in the reason for the persecution and suffering, not the suffering itself. The reason for it is for Christ's sake, for him. They persecuted him and do the same for us. Philippians 1, 29 says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Philippians 1, 29 says, For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but you should suffer for his sake. So we keep in balance two perspectives. An eternal perspective that makes us long for glory and this present life perspective that says, I'm going to have some hard times for Christ's sake. You got to keep them in perspective. You got to. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for your reward is great in heaven for they persecuted the prophets who are before you. So the world has a negative reaction to you as God's distinguished people. Have any of you ever experienced any of this reaction? Have I? Do you know of anyone that has personally? The world will respond in a negative way. And on the other side is our response to this world. To this world that responds against us in a negative way. What is our response to this insulting, persecuting, slandering world? What is our response? Our reaction is one of influence. We are distinguished from the world to influence the world for good. For good. 
As one believer said, we offer love and truth for hatred and lies. As a distinguished people, we first influence the world through being the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. But if saltiness has lost its taste, how shall it be salty again? You have been made salt by God. He's not calling you to be something that you're not. Notice that. Jesus is not calling his disciples to be something that they're not. They have already been made salt. The Beatitudes, go back to them. The Beatitudes, the blessings of the kingdom. You have been made salt for the purpose of influence. You have been made salt for the earth. It includes people, communities, culture, society. It even includes those who insult you, persecute you, and slander you. It includes all. It's all the above. Salt has two unique qualities about it. You know what they are? It preserves and it seasons. There's a negative and positive function to the uh, a negative and positive to the function of salt. Its negative function is that it has the ability to preserve, to prevent decay. You take a piece of meat, for example. When the salt is rubbed into the meat, it preserves the meat from decay. You see, in the ancient world, they didn't have refrigerators and freezers like we do. They used salt to preserve their meat because it had the ability to draw out moisture and to prevent the survival of bacteria that can cause the meat to decay. And as salt of the earth, you have that same function in this life to preserve, to preserve society to prevent its decay. This causes you to think about your life differently. If I'm functioning as salt in the world in which I live, in the community in which I live, in the job in which I work, in the school in which I go to, that makes me think about my life and responsibilities there differently. If I am the salt there to preserve it, it means you fight against the spread of evil, injustice, discrimination in word and deed. See, the Lord has rubbed his distinguished, salty people into a broken, decaying world to preserve it, to prevent its decay. You are God's distinguished, salty people. And where you live, you are meant to have influence there for good. Wherever you do, wherever job you have, wherever neighborhood you live in, wherever you buy groceries, wherever you go get your car washed, wherever you are, you are the salt of the earth. And are you having influence there for good to preserve it from decay. The second function is a positive one. It seasons. And when you season something, what do you do? Yeah, it makes it more lively and exciting. It brings out flavor, right? Just like when you're eating a piece of meat and you're like, man, that needs a little more salt. It needs a little more flavor. It needs a little more flavor. And so you're not just preserving society as a believer, but you're there to bring out more flavor in society to make it more lively. And how do you do that? By how you live your life and what you value and how you love your spouse, how you respond to your hardships and how you deal with conflict. And when you do those things, you, your life brings a different taste to life. 
That's what it should be. When a non-believer sees your life, they should say there's something different about that person's life. A different taste about that person's life that I don't have. That I don't have. And you say, what is that? They begin to see Jesus in and through you. And how you live and how you deal with difficult people. They see Christ in you. That brings a different taste to life. And are people saying that about you? About me? Are you salt? Or have you lost your saltiness? There are two things that causes us to lose our saltiness in the world. The first one is, is what I call isolation. You isolate yourself from the world. You retire from the world. Christians who take this position, they believe that the Christians in church have no social responsibility at all. We have no responsibility within culture. All we, all we care about is just the spiritual aspect of a person. That's the primary task. And all we care about is our own little covenant community of believers in the hell with the decaying world. Because the, the, the primary task of the church is spiritual. So if someone, if there's evils going on, well, we don't say anything against it because that's not the mission of the church. That mindset causes you to lose your saltiness. You become irrelevant. That's what you become, irrelevant. And when you lose your saltiness, you're no longer good for anything, Christ says, but to be thrown out. You have lost your influence. You're no longer relevant. One Christian says, to try to improve society is not worldliness, but love. To wash your hands of society is not love, but worldliness. Where are you? To improve society is not worldliness, but love. To wash your hands of it is not love, but worldliness. Think about it. Who is society made of? People. <laughs> People. It's not some abstract thing that's out there. It's people in the society. If you change the people, guess what you're going to change? Society. Society is made up of people. So to say, I wash my hands of it, that ain't love. That's not love. That's worldliness. The second way you lose your saltiness is when you just completely assimilate yourself into the world. To the point where you're not distinguished. And all your non-Christian friends don't see anything different about you. Well, you just like us, bro. Well, you, what? I don't see nothing different about you, Alex. You value what I value. You love what I value. You do everything I do. So what's different? Now, am I saying I'm better? I'm still a sinner, I'm still a sinner but there would be fruit in my life that distinguish me from those who don't know Christ. And if you completely assimilate yourself into the world, adopting it, all its worldview, doing everything the world does, there's nothing different about you. You should be distinguished. Do your friends, neighbors, see anything different about you? Or are you just a spiritualized version of them? A spiritualized version of them, meaning you go to church, but do the same thing they do. They just don't go to church. That's what I mean by that. Or is there a difference? Again, go back to the Beatitudes. Go back to the marks of the kingdom. The blessings of the kingdom. What keeps you 
as a salty believer. The Beatitudes do. All those things being produced in us. In us. Changing us. You see, being salt flows out of your character. And if you don't have Christian character, then you're not going to be salty. You're not going to have any influence. No longer be good for anything. And so it goes back to basically to my relationship with Christ. Asking the Spirit to produce in me things I can't produce in myself. I can't make myself humble. The Spirit has to do that. I can't make myself mourn for my sin. The Spirit has to do that. I can't make myself be merciful to, to people that I don't like. The Spirit has to do that. I can't make myself a peacemaker. The Spirit has to do that. Amen. I can't make myself desire the things of God. The Spirit has to do that. And so if you recognize in yourself you don't have any of these things, you need to fall on your face and repent. To Spirit doing me what I can't do in myself. I can't make myself salty. You do it for me. Help me to live above the influence of the world so I can influence it for good. Distinguish from the world to influence the world. Now, what if Jesus would have ended his little sermon there on that one point that you just saw? What type of view of the church would you be left with? If he just says you saw the earth and that's it, what would be your view of the church? It's a congregation of participation. <laughs> if he just said you were saw the earth, the church would just be another united way. Because think about it. God has other things, institutions he's set up to restrain sin. There's other things that set up in our world. Because the world is not as sinful as it can be. You do realize that, right? Because if it was, things would be a whole lot worse. He set up certain things, governments, laws. They are in place for a reason. And if the church, if that's all we are as salt, then what is different from us than United Way? Because United Way does a lot of good things. They do salty things to try to help society to make it a better place. See, we're not just another United Way. We're not United Way at all. Because with the with the salt metaphor, you need a balance. And Jesus gives us the balance. You saw the earth and you're light of the world as well. Verse 13. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it on a basket, but on a stand that it gives light to all that's in the house. In the same way that your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When Jesus says we're the light of the world, he is acknowledging the fact that the world is in darkness. Otherwise, it wouldn't need light. The world is in darkness. And what kind of darkness is the world in? Sin. The fall. The world is filled of those who don't know him. And we, as his people, are the light of that dark world. We are a city on a hill, he says. And a city on a hill can clearly be seen. You can't hide it. You see it. Well, that's a city. That's not just a house, but it's a city. Everyone who sees it knows it's a city. It's distinguished. Secondly, do people light a lamp in the house and put it on the basket? If you have visitors in your house, do you let them sit in the dark and try to have a conversation? No. You go get some light, some candles or something. When, all, when the electricity went out, we were all in darkness. 
And so if you had candles, you lit it. You just didn't sit there. If you had the candles, you lit it so you can have light in your house. And in the same way, we let our light shine before the world. Do folks know where you stand as a believer? Do they know? You know what? I'm not even going to approach that guy because I know where he stands on this issue. He's not going to compromise his values. We are a lot of the world means we are taking the gospel along with our good deeds of being sought. We always bring the gospel in because we know what folks really need is that faith in Christ. So we're like it's both and. We don't function just as salt. We are the light too. We, we, everything we do is meant to lead to the gospel eventually. Because if someone doesn't know Christ, you know where they're going to go. Don't you? So we bring the gospel in. Truth to the situation that says the Father sent the Son to live a life you could not live. He died a death that you should have died. Why? Because He loves you. And there is salvation available to you. Repentance available to you. Restoration available to you. Healing available to you. Through saving faith in Christ. We both, we're both in here. It's easier to be the salt. But when it comes down to being the light, that's when we get nervous. Because, you know, evangelism, we talked about that last week. We got our hearts have to break for those who don't. Know Christ. Pray for them. Share the gospel with them. Be distinguished. Let people know where you stand. You are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Evangelism has to be practiced in our life because you want folks to be who are in darkness to come into the light. And Jesus says, let our light shine before men. And when they see our good works of being salt and being light, some will give glory to our Father who is in heaven when we live as, if, as we should live as the people of God. I have a friend of mine. Her name is uh, Rika McCoy. Her and I got together for lunch this week to talk about some stuff. And when I first met her, she told me about her. Rika is from India. And her and her family has been here for some time now. And she's pretty much one of the only ones in her family who's a believer. And when I first met her last year, she told me about her brother who was really, really standoffish about the faith. Didn't want to have anything to do with it. Didn't want to have anything to talk about Christ. She's been praying for her brother for 13 years. He prayed to receive Christ a few months ago. He prayed to receive Christ a few months ago. He went from someone who was hostile to the faith to someone who is now going to eventually be preaching the faith. Prayer is not wasted. Not wasted. That's what it means to be a light for people. I don't give up on them. I'm going to labor for them in prayer. And you never know what the Father's going to do. He is faithful. Amen. Let us pray. Father, I do thank you um, for Rika's brother. I'm excited for her. I was rejoicing with her, Lord, when she told me the story. And so I pray for him and, and his relationship with you and, and, and Stephen, who's going to be discipling him, that, that Lord, he will grow leaps and bounds um, and, and is falling in love with grace and the gospel. And, and, and he'll be able to share this with all of his friends who don't know Christ. So, 
I pray that you will encourage him, protect him from the enemy, and that light, Lord, that he'll be light and salt in the world. And I pray that prayer for all of us, Lord, that, that you, your spirit will make us salty in the places where we live, that we'll be light in the places where we live. And in Christ's name I pray. Amen.